0: Today's episode of Candid may contain some phrases that are not appropriate for younger listeners. Please listen to this episode without younger children around, and then decide if you would like to share portions of the episode with them. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith i'd like to share a review that we just received from danik he wrote thank you so much for a wonderful opportunity to listen to how god has transformed lives for his purpose the interviews you have had with god's people are thorough and a motivation in my own christian walk you are blessed thank you for taking the time to write a review danik we love that you're listening and enjoying the podcast." If you've been listening and enjoying the podcast, would you take a minute and log on to your favorite podcast platform, rate us, and leave us a review? We would love to feature you on our next episode. Now, on to this week's candid conversation.
1: She was born into a satanic cult family, and the way they funded their cult was by trafficking their daughters. And so she literally stole a vehicle in Alabama before the family was set up and came to Georgia. And we were able to rescue her. And one Sunday in worship, I just saw the armor start to crack a bit. And I saw this emotion. And the following Sunday, uninvited, she just walked down to the altar and began to weep and just pour out this pain that was just unbelievable.
0: On this episode of Candid, I have the great joy of welcoming Bruce Deal. He is the founder and CEO of City of Refuge in Atlanta, Georgia. Bruce is also the senior pastor of the Mission Church and a graduate of Lee University. Bruce spent 14 years as a pastor in the suburbs of Atlanta until God boldly moved his heart into the struggling inner city to join the fight against the darkness and hopelessness found there. He founded the City of Refuge in 1997 with a mission to bring light, hope, and transformation to individuals and families in Atlanta. City of Refuge is located in the middle of one of Atlanta's most historic and struggling neighborhoods with nearly 40% of residents living below the federal poverty line. They offer housing, medical and mental health care, education, vocational training, case management, a safe house for victims of sex trafficking, and a host of other services to the impoverished and homeless of the city. This is all done in the love of Christ to facilitate healing and restoration to create a clear pathway out of poverty. Join me as Bruce walks us through his powerful story of giving up everything to follow the call of Christ to serve those in his community. We pray this testimony will leave you inspired to follow the call of God on your life, trusting that with God, nothing is impossible. Now, on to our Candid Conversation. Well, today my guest is uh, the founder and CEO of City of Refuge and the senior pastor of the Mission Church, Mr. Bruce Deal. Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Candid Conversations with us.
1: Well, thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate the invitation.
0: Bruce, uh, I know we've got a little, some time constraints, so let's jump straight in. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to know Christ, how you got involved in ministry, and then we can talk about City of Refuge from there.
1: Sure. Yeah, I grew up in the mountains of Virginia, and uh, my dad was a pastor my whole life growing up, so I was exposed to the gospel and the love of Christ at an early age, and uh, you know, being raised in that environment, sometimes you resent it a bit, and so it uh, took me a while to come to a full acceptance of it, but really point to a time when I was a senior in high school where I felt like I made a true commitment to Christ and, and felt at that time a real call to ministry. So I went to uh, Lee University Christian School after that, graduated with uh, my degree in pastoral ministries and, and went into ministry 40 years ago now almost.
0: Wow what was sort of the outlook on all that? Was it, I'll be a senior minister like dad and I'll take a church and...
1: Yeah, you know, there was a traditional roadmap, right? I was going to be a youth pastor for a number of years and I moved into executive pastor role. And then at some point I would be a senior pastor. So that was sort of what was in my mind and what I thought would happen. Uh, And I did, I followed that path for the first 14 years of ministry. So I was a youth pastor in a couple of different places and then executive pastor for a few years. So that, I was well on that track uh, that i thought was going to be my sort of destiny track uh, for about 14 years
0: yeah but then uh the lord sent you a curveball <laughs> and that's how we get to our story today and talking about your opportunity and ministering in the inner city of atlanta tell us a little bit of how all of that came together what you were expecting and what you ended up receiving
1: Yeah, you know, it's just, it is one of those God stories. I was on staff at a church north of Atlanta at uh, Spaghetti Junction. I've been there about five years. And I was lead youth groups and singles groups downtown to a little church in the city where we would do missions work, you know, clothing closet, food pantry, those kind of things. And then uh, the bishop of our organization called and said, hey, can we have a meeting? So my senior pastor, myself and the bishop met. And he said, can you just see, I asked my pastor, can you loan Bruce downtown for six months we think we need to close a little church to sell the properties down to just a few folks. We don't have any pastoral candidates. And so I thought, well, this is a good thing for me to do. I'll speak every Sunday for six months, yeah. business acumen development, you know, as I move on in life. And my wife and I, Rhonda, had four daughters at the time. They we were seven, five, three and one. So we thought we we're going for a six month assignment, Jonathan. And, uh, and we get there and, and our story is our fifth or sixth Sunday, a young lady walked in, stood out in the crowd a bit. And at the end of the service, just walked down and was weeping mm. and her words to me, pretty dramatic were I've been hooking and stripping 14 years. Can you help me get out of the life? Yeah. And my natural response was yes, even though I didn't know what all that would entail. And, uh, and so we said, yes. And that opened the door for the next three months, four months, that hundred people in crisis, drug addicts, alcoholics, homeless folks were walking in this little building going, can you help us? Yeah. And uh, about four months in, I walked into churches full one Sunday, and I jokingly say I, I drew on my theological seminary training, looked at my wife, Rhonda, and said, we've been conned by God, woman. Uh, this was just not what we had planned. So that path you mentioned earlier was suddenly had taken a hard right turn, yeah. and that was 24 years ago now. Wow.
0: Okay, so at your previous church, you were helping with some of these sort of uh, helps ministries, uh, food, clothing, that sort of thing. Was that something that you had a natural inclination to, or was that something that that the Lord was sort of kind of yanking and pulling you into?
1: You know, I think it was a combination. My dad was very benevolent as a pastor, so we, we had people living with us on a regular basis that were in crisis. Uh, raising money for mission trips. My dad did missions all over the world, raised all of his own support. And so it was sort of part of my DNA. Um, And then I think obviously the Lord was preparing me specifically for the inner city of Atlanta. So being here five years and coming downtown multiple times over those five years, I'd started to get an affinity for the city and felt like it had become home for my family. And so I think that was part of his plan as well. Yeah.
0: Well, and for a lot of our viewers who may not be familiar with the Atlanta area, I mean, describe what was the scenery that you were walking into? What's the lifestyle?
1: Yeah. I, so, you know, we accepted the pastor of that little church, resigned our position. I started City of Refuge because I knew the expression of ministry was going to look a little different than normal church, yes. right? Yes, and so, a uh, couple months into that assignment, Rhonda, my wife, called out of her morning quiet time and just was weeping and said, If we're really going to impact the city, we got to go live in the city. If we want people in crisis to trust us, we have to live among them, so we trust them. Yes. And so, there's a lot to the story, but the short version is we ended up moving in this 65 year old church building on the third floor uh, in downtown Atlanta. Uh, my kids couldn't play outside, it's a very transient area. So, we moved in, um, no bathtubs. You know, had to remodel. I mean, just it was just a crazy, difficult, dirty environment uh, Mm -hmm. that we had to move into. But we felt like it's what the Lord had said. And so Mm -hmm. we did. Our fifth daughter was born and we brought her home there. Uh, Jonathan, we lived there six years. um, You know, and the fun stories were broken into three dozen times and guns and knives and fist fights. And I've been in superior court with guys that tried to kill me. So, you know it was uh, it was a little bit of a of an adjustment from the mountains of southwest virginia yeah and then You're a long way this, from home <laughs> yeah and then these nice suburban primarily caucasian upper middle class churches i'd worked in for 14 years and now wow. our congregation is primarily african american it's primarily people from addiction or criminal backgrounds or homelessness so it, my learning curve was pretty pretty dramatic
0: yeah well, and and I mean, just thinking on that, what were the things that you were learning? I mean, in, in, you know, in terms of uh, societal differences, I mean, obviously they're stark, but I mean, you coming from such a, a different background and pastoral experience, I mean, what were those? I mean, you were drinking from a fire hose, I'm guessing, but what were those those lessons that were coming to you?
1: I thought about that a lot. I think the biggest lesson was. I quickly had to put down any spirit of judgmentalism, right? So, you know, I, I grew up in an environment where if you worked hard, you're going to succeed, where you had a support system around you. You had two parent household, you had quality educational opportunities. And so I had to come to the realization that so many people in the world didn't have the same start I have. They weren't born with momentum, right? And so they didn't have the resources. And so for me to judge where they are today, It's just wrong. I mean, basically sinful, right, for me to judge where they are today. So what we had to do was start with a blank sheet of paper, figure out each other's name, what our dreams were about the future, and start walking that. Eventually, we would revisit the past and talk about what brought you to this point. But for today, let's just talk about where you want to go tomorrow. And so just being willing to take things from, a, like I said, a white piece of paper stage versus trying to determine whether they were at fault or not. Mm. as to why they are where they are now.
0: Yeah. What you're doing there, I mean, that's a deep level of counseling. How do you tie in, you know, just sort of uh, like clinical psychology versus really coming at it from a biblical perspective in a way that's going to help lift these people up out of their predicament?
1: Yeah, really good question. So we start, obviously, with the love of Christ and and Mm. Early on, we want everybody to understand Genesis 127, that they were created in the image of God, Amen. right? And now we have flawed that image, either by our decisions, our behavior, our actions, or sometimes others have flawed our image. We want them to understand the identity issue. So we start with that always as the foundation, who you are in Christ. But we also understand that if you have been sexually traumatized or if you have had an addiction issue or alcohol has ruled your life, then trauma-informed care is critical. We, I mean, we have to have the opportunity and present the opportunity for them to sit down with licensed, trained, certified counselors and talk through the processes and the emotions and the feelings of where they've been, what they've experienced, why they didn't have as good an opportunity as somebody else so we, we try to marry those things, frankly, is we lead with the love and the gospel of Christ, but we support that with clinical uh, support for those individuals as well.
0: You know, we've probably run a little bit ahead here. Paint us a picture of of City of Refuge. I mean, what is the organization itself? Is it just, uh, you know, people meeting in the church building? What does it look like?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, the Lord blessed us 18 years ago with eight acres of land, uh, 210,000 square foot warehouse space in the bluff in Atlanta, which is historically the toughest zip code in Atlanta from a crime, homelessness, single parent household violence, uh, those kind of things. And so we have that. So on our campus, um, when we got this property 18 years ago, my dream was to have what we call a one-stop shop for those in crisis. So we have a housing environment, 40,000 square foot environment that is uh, for homeless mothers with their children that live with us for six months at a time, a daycare uh, that cares for those kids from six weeks of age to five years of age, private Christian school on campus, a medical clinic with medical mental health, dental and vision, A commercial kitchen that does about 300,000 meals a year. Mercy care, recuperative care center, homeless women that have severe medical issues that need medical care 24 hours a day live there. 14 living dwelling apartments for them. We're in renovation right now. Part of our space for a um, survivor home for uh, juvenile survivors of sex trafficking abuse will be 13 bedrooms for 11 to 17 year old survivors. We have the adult program on campus of 48 beds for women that have been sexually trafficked and exploited, housed and served over 800 women in the past eight years from that environment. Our vocational training hub is on campus as well. So we do job training in auto technician, culinary arts, coding academy, cybersecurity, hospitality, security personnel able to put about 500 individuals a year into the workforce. So that's sort of the footprint here. Uh, Opened a 47-unit apartment uh, community across the street last year, renovating a 31-unit hotel right now that will be a housing program for men, veterans, those coming out of the incarceration, PTSD, addiction, Uh, So that's the Atlanta footprint, and we've got eight other locations with four now in the pipeline around the country that will come on in the next 12 to 18 months. I mean, that is staggering, and I think we missed
0: a step in there because you went from being in a little bitty church (laughs) building— to a 20,000 square foot space with a chef and a hair salon and a coffee shop and apartments. Okay. What are the steps in between there? I mean, clearly there's the Lord was at work there.
1: Yeah. The original building 20,000 square feet. And Ron and I started taking in little girls whose moms were going to jail or rehab. So we would foster while they went through their journey when they got out of jail or rehab, they didn't have where to go. So they'd move in. So literally one morning I got up and started counting between Ron and our five daughters, the single moms, their daughters. I was living with 23 women in this little 20,000 square foot building. I'm like, this won't work long for me. So I just asked a real estate buddy to go over to the bluff and find a building. And he came back with the description of this incredible property, eight acres, five acres on the roof. And uh, the owner at the time asked 1.6 million for the property and i don't mean this to be funny but i just my counter offer was we don't have any money and uh and How about so, he that? Turned, <laughs> yeah. so he turned us down for six months and donated this property six months later so 18 wow. years ago all of this property was donated uh for the work of the lord here and uh malin mems was the donor and, and is still one of our best friends 86 years old now Every time we meet, he weeps about this being the best gift he's ever given to impact this community and city mm. in the way that it has mm. so obviously,
0: out of all that, um, you have a collection of stories I'm sure I wonder if you could take a few minutes and, and tell us about some of the the amazing transformations you've seen in the lives of people that have come through city of refuge
1: yeah, yeah, there's so many to choose from you know i I, I think as we're sitting here about. Elizabeth came to us, um, really dramatic, uh, heartbreaking story. She was born into a satanic cult family, and the way they funded their cult was by trafficking their daughters. Oh. And so her first sexual abuse took place at the age of five, and she had been trafficked for 18 years when she got to us. And so she literally stole a vehicle in Alabama for the family, was set up, and came to Georgia, and we were able to rescue her. And so she was 23 years old when she got to us, been trafficked 18 years. And just said to us, basically, in so many words, I don't want to speak to a man, I don't want to look at a man, and I don't want to hear about your God, right? Because I've lived this life. Uh, Took about a year before she would even acknowledge me in the hallway. And uh, then we just finally started getting a nod and a good morning. And one Sunday in worship, I just saw the armor start to crack a bit. And I saw this emotion. And the following Sunday, uninvited. She just walked down to the altar and began to weep and just pour out this pain that was just unbelievable. Um, we're now five years past receiving her into our program and because we just walked with her, showed her the love of Christ, put her in counseling, helped her to understand her identity. She's now graduated Bible college, has her own degree in counseling, married, has her own child, is stable, secure, and living life to the fullest after 18 years of horror Five years after the love of God was revealed in her life, she's an incredible Mm. success story. Mm. And during those five years, it's important to understand that, especially in those first 18 to 24 months, she crashed and burned six or eight times. Right. And so to your point, when you prayed earlier, as we started the podcast, this is about second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Mm. Mm. It's also very important for us to understand that for some people, this is their first chance. Hmm. A lot of people say you guys are great yeah. at giving people a second chance. The <laughs> fact right. of the matter is, because of where they come from, this is their first chance to hear the love of Christ. This is their yeah. first chance to believe they're valuable. Yeah, and uh, and so we give the first chance, and then we have to keep giving chances. Yeah. So that's one story. I will share one more quick. Uh, Ryan grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and at 13 years of age, ran away from home after his stepdad broke his collarbone and was recruited into the Gangster Disciples, uh, six more Gangster Disciples, ran a robbery crew for 14 years around the country. Was uh, His first assignment was to kill a rival gang member at 13, which he did. And, uh, and he ended up 14 years ago walking past our gate to rob a drug house on the next corner and just said he started trembling as he walked past the gate, started weeping for the first time since he was 13 years old, didn't understand the power of Holy Spirit in his life, obviously. Uh, the next day walked onto our campus accepted the lord as his savior and has been with us 14 years now uh, had seven felonies when we got here we were able to get his record expunged now owns his own security company employs other individuals with criminal backgrounds to put them into the workforce and uh, gives them a path forward so again it's the pay it forward mentality, right? I mean, that's really what the gospel is. The society stole the phrase from us. But, you know, as, as, I, as I love and evangelize and disciple one, they will love and evangelize and disciple another. And that process just yeah. continues.
0: He loved us first, right? Absolutely. Well, Bruce, you've got a book which is um, filled with a lot of these stories, and it's called Trust First. How did you come up with a title like that? What's the point behind that?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So what we determined after a few years into this ministry is everywhere we go in life, Jonathan, we have to prove ourselves first. So if we try out for a sports team, we yeah. have to prove that we're capable. If we yes. apply to go to college, we have to go through an application, and interview process, a job yeah. interview. So we're always having to prove ourselves first. And we, we just began to understand that people to come to us, they're so broken and beat up and weary that they've broken so many people's trust in their life that if we require them to prove to us that we should trust them, they're just going to turn and leave. So the mentality I adopted that my team now adopts as well is with the day you walk in our gate, ride in our gate or carry it in our gate, we're going to trust you until you prove to us we can't trust you. So it's just, flipping the, it's just flipping the narrative. You don't have to prove to me that you're a good person. I'm going to assume you're a good person. You don't have to prove to me you're valuable. I'm going to assume you're valuable. You don't have to prove to me you have gifts and talents. I'm going to assume you have gifts and talents from day one. And then if you prove to me that I've misplaced my trust, we'll have to deal with that. But I just think it activates something in individuals' hearts and souls and minds when we trust them on the front end and make them feel valuable and have dignity and worth the moment they walk on our campus. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. Bruce, I, I just as a pastor, I'm wondering. You know, you're walking out this ministry day by day with these people, but then I'm assuming you, you do a fair bit of preaching at the mission church. How does one influence the other, and and the two feed each other, and how, how do they kind of work themselves out uh, yeah. in your sort
1: of week? So the mission church was mine for 23 and a half years. It's fair to let you know that I let somebody else take over senior pastor in January okay. of this year. Sure. But for 23 and a half years, I had to navigate that. And, yeah. uh, and what we determined early on was that those who were already disciples and followers of Christ and attend the church would become our core volunteers for city of refuge and help support that program. And then when an individual or family came to us in crisis and they received some of the resources and they wanted to have a conversation about spirituality and Christianity, we referred them to the Mission Church. So it became this sort of cross-reference relationship between the two, where Mission Church is serving individuals in crisis. When those individuals in crisis want to talk about church, we refer them back to the discipleship team at the church. And so it's just been a huge partnership in a very productive way i have a lot of fun in life at this point have for several years i travel and speak about 50 percent of the sundays of the year around the country and just being able to go into different environments to share our story to inspire others motivate and activate this compassion ministry in their hearts and in their churches is a lot of fun and to see how they respond to their own communities has been very rewarding
0: Yeah, that's a great sort of way for us to wrap up because I know you need to go. But, you know, what is so as you do, you go out and you speak at these churches. What is sort of a vision that you may have for all these communities around the country that their hearts would be led to?
1: Well, you know, it's um, 400 times in Scripture there, there is direct reference to ministry, the poor and the needy, the brokenhearted, the weary, the widow, the orphan, right? And so just to remind people, oh yeah, by the way, this is the second most talked about subject scripture. right? So to remind people of that, to activate them, and then to help them understand that not everyone is called to vocational ministry right. that ministers to the poor and needy like I am, but all of us are called to assist our brother and sister that might be in need in some way, yeah. right? And so just to try and and to motivate people to try and help them go through that process I did where they don't look at people and automatically make assumptions about them. Yeah. Let's start with a relationship. You know, before we lead with the name of Jesus, let's know what their name is. Yeah. Right. So, Hey, Brad here. Let me talk to you about this versus let me give you this before I even know anything about your life. Mm-hmm. And so just trying to create this culture of compassion is, is sort of what I feel like my call is uh, for the next years of ministry.
0: A culture of compassion, uh, something that should be a marker of the Church of Jesus Christ. Well, Bruce Deal, I feel like I've been drinking from a fire hose for 20 minutes, but uh, we're so grateful for you. We thank you for your book, Trust First. We'll get a link to it on the show notes. And we thank you for your ministry, City of Refuge in the Atlanta area. Bruce Deal, thank you so much for joining us on Candid Conversations.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for the great work you do as well.
0: God bless, brother. Candid Conversations is a podcast of Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. I'm Jonathan Youssef, and I've been blessed to host this podcast for over two years now. It is our honor to bring new episodes to you each week, and we've done over 120 episodes at this point. This month, you have the unique opportunity to give to Leading the Way to help support important biblical ministries like Candid Conversations through the December Triple Matching Challenge. Every gift given to the ministry this month will be tripled up to $2.2 million. Every gift will help us to meet our goal. You can give by visiting ltw.org and clicking on the Triple Matching Challenge banner, or you can click through to the link we've provided on the show notes. Thank you so much for considering a gift today.